The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. I want you to open your Bible to Revelation chapter 2. Our study does continue with the exposition of the fourth letter of the churches of Asia. This is the Lord's letter to the church at Thyatira, and the text of the letter is verses 18 through 29. And I'm not going to read the entire text this morning. We've done that in the previous two messages. But I don't want to be accused of not using the Bible and uh, of not having a text to preach from. So I want you to be sure that you open your Bibles, you keep them open, and you look at the Scriptures that I'll use today, and you won't accuse me of not preaching from God's Word. This is the longest of the seven letters. Its length requires more time for us to explain it. But more than being the longest, it is the most comprehensive of the seven. There is more instruction here, and there is more to compare to churches today, and thus it requires for us to have a very close inspection of it so that we avoid the pitfalls of a failing church. Now let me make this very clear, that Christ never fails, that His church never fails, that it will always be here until He returns, but God has not promised that there is any individual congregation that will still be here until He returns. That depends on faithfulness. That depends on willingness to hold to the Word of God and to be steadfast in the faith. Now the sad truth about the church in Thyatira is that there is very minuscule commendation from the Lord, uh, not very much here, and Thyatira does not much look like a strong church. This letter is mostly a rebuke of the church that is sinking into apostasy, and this church is sinking into a black hole, the black hole of Satan. And in a black hole, there is no light that emerges. And that's where Thyatira was headed. That may be an apt description of it. And if you look at verse number 18, you can see why they're not yet at the bottom of that hole, because there is still a little bit of light emerging. In verse 19, we talked about last week, there is still a little bit of light emerging. And the Lord comes to this church with eyes that are flaming with fire, and He comes to light them up. And the flaming eyes of fire and the feet of brass, those are symbols of judgment. And what God will do is to light this church up with a fire of judgment, with a demand that they either repent or they will suffer His rejection. Now, as I said, there's very little commendation for the church, but the Lord is the righteous judge, and what He will not do, He will not... He will not miss this. He will not overlook this. There is something to commend the church for. There are some things this church did right. Now, to catch you up a little bit, to get us to the place where we can continue the issues of the letter, let me remind you of the good things. And the first good thing that's said here is not about the church itself. It's about the Lord of the church. It's about the one who is the master of the church. He owns the church. So number one, we've talked about this, number one is the position declared. Jesus Christ is the author of this letter, and it was customary in the first century to sign a letter at the beginning of the letter rather than at the end. Today we sign our letters at the end. In the New Testament, and in those times they signed them at the beginning. And so the author here announces himself. This is Jesus. 
Now a good example of this is Paul's letters in the New Testament. He almost always begins by describing himself as Paul a servant or Paul an apostle. And here Jesus gives us another description of himself as he has in the previous letters. Verse 18, And unto the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God. These things saith the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet are like undefined brass. Now in each of these letters to the churches, Jesus announced himself. This time he announces himself as the judge. He is self-described with eyes that flame with fire, feet that are like fine brass. As I said, as we talked about last week, these are symbols of judgment. And then Christ goes on with his comments. These are the good things that he says about the church. The positives declared, that's number two, the positives declared in the passage. Now I think that the Lord needed a magnifying glass to find something good. But he found it. They had works. Twice in the passage we see they had works. Now before we get too excited about the works, we need to be aware that many churches exist because they're doing something good. There's some activity in them. And people must think that they're doing something good or else there wouldn't be any point to having a church. Many churches practice acts of Benevolence, they are, they are active. They have a reputation in their community for being involved and being helpful. And churches that love activity are not uncommon for us to find. So the Lord mentions here works. He mentions their charity, their work of love. And when I thought about love, I thought that there are some churches that miss love in favor of doctrine. And there are some churches that miss doctrine in favor of love. I've known many fundamental churches that are rigid about their standards and they refer to themselves as the rocked rib fundamentalist. And they are not going to compromise with anybody for anything. They are so much in love with their strong stands and they're so quick to call out and to condemn others for what they believe and what they do. But they call out for against them without any compassion on them, without any mercy for them. Their standards are their God. And they surely do love their God. But then we find that there are others that are squishy and mushy with their love. They have big gaga eyes and they gush about Abba Father and Daddy God. And they love God so much that they think that teaching people about good doctrine and pressing upon them the horrible consequences of their sin, if they do that, that's going to upset people. And you don't want to upset people because they won't like God anymore if you do that. Well, we need the right balance between calling people to repentance from sin and also coming alongside of the sinner to help him with his burdens and to lift him up. And it's not difficult to see that the God of this text, in these letters, we have a God who does both. He rails on sin, but He also gives time to repent. And He says, you can come to Me. And He's merciful and compassionate towards those who will repent. Now, Jesus commended the church at Thyatira for service when it was right. There was a remnant of solid believers in the church. They're still carrying on the work of the church, enough that for a time they had stayed God's judgment. Some had faith. Some fought to keep the church right. Some were patient. They endured, and they were persevering. 
But here is a church where the world is fast encroaching upon them. It's getting harder to find any that are loving. It's getting hard to find people that are true servants. It's hard to find people that are faithful and they're patient. And many of these had gone back into the world. And there's only a godly remnant that's, that's, that's protecting them right now. And that remnant's fading away. And it's not enough to write a sinking ship. And so the commendation for the church was slight here. And the Lord's niceties towards this church very quickly turned to words of judgment. And this is where we begin the heart of today's message. Number three is the problems that demoralized. In verse 20, notwithstanding, the Lord says, notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee. So notwithstanding the positives of the church, there are problems. I have a few things against you. Oh, he may mention only a few things, but those few things are major things. And there are only a few things that can bring a church down if those few things are major heretical issues. And here is a church that's headed into deep heresy. And it's my duty today to tell you about this, and some of you may not like what I say, and so I'm happy today that I'm on my own turf here, speaking to our people, and maybe not some of the other congregations that are in this town, I maintain that there are a few things here that are much like the modern church today, and the problems that we find in Thyatira are not minor. Churches today are in major heresy, and they're headed for God's judgment. Or it may be that God has already passed judgment on them because they're no longer His true churches. You can't recognize the truth. There's nothing in those churches. So they may have the sign on the door, they may have church on the door, but they are not true churches of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee. And now he gets to the problems. Because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess to teach and to seduce my servants, to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. Now, you may not like the reason that Christ calls out this church on the first issue. The verse, or the error rather, of verse number 20 is so serious that it upsets God's order of creation. Did you recognize it as we read it? It's the violation of God's order in the church which is established according to the order of creation. Now let's turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Paul's letter to Timothy addresses church problems and church order. Timothy was a young pastor who had very quickly experienced the difficulties of maintaining a sound church. And a good sound church is largely dependent upon a good sound pastor. Now chapter 3 speaks of pastors. And I've done quite a bit of teaching on that, on that part in the past year or so. The chapter is about both pastors and deacons who are expected to be stellar in their examples before the people. Now the end of chapter 2 is a setup for the discussion of chapter 3. Paul brings up a major point that needed to be addressed. It's a major concern because a church can very quickly go wrong if this is not right. The evidence of that is the terrible mess at Thyatira. Now the major concern here is the role of women in the church. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 9. In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, 
not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing, if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. Now keep your finger in that text. Don't lose it. Let's go back to Revelation chapter 2. Keep, keep that text. The first problem in Thyatira should begin to crystallize in your mind. And here it is. The wrong person in leadership. The wrong person in leadership. Thou sufferest. And if you don't understand King James English, that means you allowed it. You permitted it. You permitted that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach. Now here, the ears of Bible students stand up. He said, Jezebel. Now believe me, their, their eyes opened widely when they read this. Do you know anybody named Jezebel? Somebody here, can you raise your hand and say, I know a lady who is named Jezebel? Nobody in this room has ever met anybody named Jezebel. Jezebel is a name just like Judas. It's a name that, that gives off a bad vibe just as soon as it rolls off the tongue. Immediately, no, the next statement is going to be something bad. Jezebel or Judas, the next thing is going to be bad. Jezebel and Judas are the vilest, most despicable people that lived. These two, one man, one a woman, that all you have to do is start to make that comparison, say the name, and the die is cast. And so when the Lord said Jezebel, he had their attention. And what he's just done here, he's called a leader in their church, Jezebel. And they knew the reference. I'm not going to take you to the Old Testament to read the story of Jezebel, but I do want to tell you a few things about her. You can find her story coupled with the life of Elijah in First and Second Kings. She was married to Ahab, one of Israel's kings after the division of the kingdom. Ahab was a wicked scoundrel, and he was worse than his father. In the text, or rather in the Old Testament, it says there that Ahab's father was worse than all the ones that were before him. And along comes Ahab, now he's worse. Ahab married Jezebel. She was the daughter of the king of the Zidonians, and they were wicked worshipers of the pagan god Baal. Now Jesus was very adept at making clever connections that would strike a blow directly at the heart of the issues in these churches. And this Jezebel in the church, it says in our text, was counseling members of the church to commit fornication. Now, we're going to get into that later in another sermon, but just note this for right now. The Old Testament Jezebel was a Baal worshiper. I don't know how much you know about Baal, but I'll tell you that he was a fertility god, and the heathen worship of the Zidonians included many illicit sex acts. And Jesus tied this woman in the church to the activity of Baal worshipers. She encouraged compromises with typical pagan worship practices of the time. And those practices were not much different than what you read about in ancient Baal worship. The Romans did basically the same things. All that you have here is the same gods, only their names have been changed. 
You have the Babylonian gods, the Egyptian gods, and all of those. You have the Roman gods, the Greek gods. There's no difference really in any of them except that they have name changes. Now keep that in mind as we back up to address the root of the problem that affects the Thyatiran church. The root is the sin of having the wrong person in leadership. It is wrong to allow a woman in a teaching position where she rules the church, especially where she rules the men of the church. Now, we go back to 1 Timothy, and we read in 1 Timothy that a woman is not to speak in the church. Paul said that just before he goes into the third chapter to speak about the qualifications of pastors and deacons. Those are the only two offices of leadership in the church. And the pastor cannot be a woman. Why can't he be a woman? Well, lots of reasons, but here's one. She can't speak. She can't speak in the church. How is she going to teach? How is she going to preach? When the Bible says she can't talk in the church. And why can't she speak? Well, verses 11 and 12 give us the answer. Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer a woman not to teach why, or to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. So the woman is supposed to be in subjection to the man. She's not to take authority away from the man. Why is that true? Because it is the created order. 1 Timothy 2.13 For Adam was first formed, then Eve. It is God's order for the man to be the head of the woman. He's to be the authority in all spheres where women and men interact. And folks, that has nothing at all to do with intellect. It's not to say that men are more intelligent than women. It doesn't have anything to do with inferiority. It doesn't make men better than women. This, folks, is a matter of order. But you preach Paul's doctrine on street corners and you better watch out because cars will steer on the sidewalk to run you over when you say things like this. God created them, male and female, and they are different. He gave them different bodies and He gave them different functions. The roles of men and women are complementary. They're not adversarial. Men and women are designed exactly the way that God wants them to be. They are designed to do what God made them to do. Now, to simplify this, the Creator created vessels for His use. And if He makes a clay pot to put beans in, and He makes another pot to put corn in, what right does the corn pot say, I ought to hold beans? I don't have time to discuss the political and social arguments that are bound to swamp us when this message gets out to the public. But I will say, the upheaval in society, gender confusion, biological confusion, switching the natural use of the body, the turmoil that exists between men and women today, it goes back to this central issue, we have upset the created order. God stood back after He created, and He said, everything is good. And then man put his two cents in, and then came chaos, and now everything is not so good. The only way to make it good is to return and to honor the way that God created us. Now you can be sure of this. When the mystery of the church was unveiled in the New Testament, that God was not about to start without the created order. It'd be suicide for his bride, the church, if he didn't abide by the created order. 
Now my concern today, again, it's not political, it's not the social aspect of the problem. We can take those things up at another time. My concern is the theological problem of Thyatira. And as clearly as it can be said, this is it. The theological order of leadership positions in the church was upset. And as soon as a woman takes a position she shouldn't have, there is going to be a massive uprooting of truth and decency in the church. Is that because women are evil? No more than men. The problem is God's design. His design is not for women to be in leadership. And when they step into the leadership, then they become evil. This is not God's design for the church, for women to be in leadership. So whose design is it? If it's not God's, whose is it? Well, there are only two spirits that operate in the world. Either it's the spirit of Christ or it's the spirit of Antichrist. And so if God is not in it, the only other one is the spirit of Antichrist. That's the devil. And what the devil does is tear things down. God builds things up. God, Satan tears things down. And so if a woman is put into the office of the pastor, it follows that there is no doctrine that is safe because now Satan is in control of the top leadership position in the church. Satan now has the top spot. And all the activities that flow out of that spot will be evil. Now, the Jezebel of the Old Testament was an enemy of God's people. Read her story to see this vile, wicked woman who killed God's prophets. She killed so many of them that Elijah at one time thought, I'm the only one that's left. There's nobody but me now. He challenged Jezebel's prophets on Mount Carmel. He killed 850 of them. And after that, Jezebel began a relentless pursuit to kill Elijah. She was the conspirator in the death of a righteous man named Naboth when she mocked the justice of the court and took a human life in exchange for a piece of property. Her payback was a violent death when she was thrown over a high city wall. Her body was run over by horses and chariots and the dogs came and ate her, leaving only her skull, her feet, and the palms of her hands. That gives you an idea of the contempt that Jesus has for a woman pastor. This is a woman in Thyatira put into the place of leadership. No, folks, don't get confused. Her real name is not Jezebel. Her character was real Jezebel. Now, you don't need much more explanation than of what Jesus thinks of women preachers, do you? Flaming eyes of fire... Judgment, righteous anger, a furnace of fire that refines brass, furnace of fire that refines brass. That's the promise for those who upset God's created order. God made the order of males and females. We are different genders, and those roles must be upheld or there is chaos. Folks, we prove that with the idiocy of the upheaval in this depraved society. Now, to bring that into the church that God loves will spark a fire of vengeance. This is not trivial. He has a few things against them, and this one is major. And Thyatira is a church that most reminds us, I think, of our modern church. The modern church embraces this. In many churches, you're as likely to see a woman in the pulpit as you are a man. 
And other churches that haven't fully embraced this, they still are unbiblical because they put women in positions that they shouldn't have. Now some of you may look at me and you think, well, you're totally crazy. What are you talking about? You can't preach things like that today. And you look at men and you say, he hates women. He puts women down. No, did you know that the Christian church has done more to promote women and uphold women than any organization in the, on the, in the history of this world? H- have you seen what Muslims do to women? I don't dislike women. I love women. Don't tell my wife that. But I love women. Women, women are very, very valuable to the ministry. Much of what we do in the church can't be done without women. Often, Paul commended the women for their help in the ministry. But then we see in the letter to Timothy that he advocated the proper place for the woman in the church. And there is none that is more useful to the church in their proper place than women, and there are none that are more harmful outside of their proper place to the church than women. Women can hold a church together, or women can tear a church apart. That's how powerful that women are. Some of you husbands know that. They can keep your family together or they can make you miserable. You're, you're like uh, the, the Proverbs, you know. It's, you don't want to live in a round house with a brawling woman. There's no corners to get into. So you don't want to accuse me of putting down women unless you're prepared to take on Jesus and Paul. At that point, when you take on Jesus and Paul and you speak to me, that's like water running off a duck's back. I'm not listening any longer. So you know my teaching about this. And you see that when we teach on this, we use the Bible to back it up. And I've not heard a woman in our church say that she feels oppressed. As far as I know, the women of our church aren't complaining. They're not saying that they don't have a place in our church. But I have heard women say that they love to do what God gave them to do. They love their roles, supporting the church in their capacity, the one that they're made for. You see, the truth does not have the effect of making people unhappy. It leaves us satisfied and working together in harmony. There's no chaos here. There is no confusion. Nobody guesses, I don't know what I'm supposed to be today. I don't know what I am. How should I feel today? Do I put on a bra or do I put on boxer briefs? I just don't know. Now, I would like to mention this. Um, A few weeks ago, when Brother Wong was here, he has a different preaching style than I have. That may be due to the nature of his mission work in China. But his style is to engage the audience in preaching by asking questions and then waiting for a response. One of our ladies came to me after the service and said, I didn't know what I was supposed to do. I didn't know whether I was supposed to speak and answer the questions or what I'm supposed to do. Now, you know, you know in my preaching, I sometimes ask questions. But my questions are rhetorical. I don't require for you to answer them. I'll answer my own questions. My point is that this teaching that we have that women are to keep silent in the church, has sunk down into our church. So that one thing that we know very clearly, preaching from the pulpit is not a dialogue. This is not a time for you to give me feedback as far as you're going to argue with me or discuss with me what I'm preaching. When you preach the Word of God from the pulpit, that Word is authoritative for the people. We don't have a discussion here about what's being preached. You want to talk to me later? That's fine. I'm happy to talk to anybody. But you don't do it while I'm preaching. So we learn this that women in the church, we know this, 
The public worship service is not the place for women to speak. I try to keep that distinction here so that we never need to worry about the confusion like was in the church at Thyatira. So no, I don't hear about women that are unhappy in the church. I hear them say that they are most concerned about being pleasing to the Lord. And if what they do makes the Lord happy, then they're happy. The reverse of that is not happiness. That is to plunge into the sins of Thyatira. This is not a light, significant matter to put a woman into the pulpit. You look at the charismatic churches that do, and those women in the pulpits are next to demons. I don't mind naming the names of demons. Paula White, Joyce Meyer, Gloria Copeland. You just go down the list and you'll never find a heresy they didn't like. What do the Scriptures say? 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 33 to 35. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. As in all churches of the saints, let me just, we have it on the screen there. If you just look at that where it says, as in all churches of the saints, that part of that phrase should go with verse number 35. Now, as you know, uh, when the Bible, when we received the Bible, when the men wrote the Bible, the words of God, there weren't any such thing as verse numbers. There weren't any such thing as chapters. So sometimes, quite frankly, the, uh, the verse numbers can get in our way. So here's a case where that phrase goes with verse number 35. As in all churches of the saints, as in all churches of the saints, listen, as in all churches of the saints, let your women keep silence in the churches. For it is not permitted for them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also said the Lord. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. Let me point out two words here. The first one's confusion. God is not the author of confusion. It's confusion to reverse the order of males and females in the church. Albert Barnes made this comment. He said, this rule is positive, explicit, and universal. There is no ambiguity in the expression, and there can be no difference of opinion, one would suppose, in regard to their meaning. The second word in that text is law. This is according to the law. The law says this. This is commanded. Now, Paul, once again, then, ties in the role of the woman to the Old Testament and the order of arrangement that God set there. I suppose that the Bibles of women preachers don't have these verses in them. They don't preach these. Jesus had them. Paul had them. The refusal to preach these verses is all the proof that we need that the Bible does not rule in a woman's pulpit. And because it does not, then what do we expect to hear from them but superabundant heresies of every kind? Jesus called... A female pastor, Jezebel. That woman, Jezebel. If you see a sign of a church with a sign under it that says, Pastor, and it's a woman, then just write, Pastor Jezebel. That's what Jesus would say. John Phillips wrote, So there she stood. She was probably a very attractive woman, no doubt possessed with a charming personality, a most persuasive tongue, forceful ideas, and great leadership qualities. She was, it would seem, a woman who put most men in the shade. Her husband, 
and the board of elders ate out of her hand. That woman Jezebel. It may not have been her real name, but it fit her like a glove. Let me make some observations about that statement. Philip said that she was probably a very attractive woman. First Timothy says that women should dress modestly with shamefacedness and sobriety. Those are words that mean reverence and control. Women gain power over men with an inviting look. Jezebel of the Old Testament thought that she could do that. In the end, her beauty didn't help her. When Jehu came to Jezreel, Jezebel painted her face, she fixed up her hair, she put on her eyeshadow, all of her, you know, put her false eyelashes on, she got all dyed, dolled up, but Jehu wasn't impressed. Outward beauty doesn't cure a wicked heart, and so he commanded her to be thrown over the city wall. Phillips also said that she could put men in the shade. I've heard women preachers that are very articulate. They're engaging, they're easy to listen to, that is... They're easy for others besides me to listen to. I can't get past the fact that it's a woman preaching, so it takes all the power that I can muster not to put my foot through the TV. But there are people that listen to it. Sorry, men. I've seen them in, their, in these congregations of, like Joyce Meyer when she's speaking. Sorry, men sit there and listen like little lap dogs. And I've seen these guys in the audience taking notes. There are profound things being spoken here. We better write this down. And they have their notebooks. They're taking notes. And I know their notebook paper is perfumed. Their pen has a little daisy on the top of it. A man who sits and listens to a Jezebel is worse than she is. Stand up and be a man, for crying out loud. She called herself a prophetess. And she seduced, she seduced God's servants to commit fornication and eat things sacrificed to idols. As I said, those are things we can take up later. But I don't have much time left, so let me... And I know you're saying, no, your time is up, no, but, but I'm preaching, so uh, we're going to get one more point in here, just squeeze in part of a point. Uh, we'll, we'll pick it up again next week, but I just want to get a little bit more here. What else is a part of the few things that Christ has against them? The second thing is the wrong precepts of doctrine. Wrong people in leadership lead to wrong precepts of doctrine. So next will come the doctrinal errors of the church. Now, now, really, having a woman in the pulpit, that's a doctrinal error. They were wrong about ecclesiology. That's the doctrine of the church. Leadership is an ecclesiastical issue, the doctrine of the church. So here is the sin that topped the list because the church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. And so when you attack the church at a foundational level like that of leadership, then the building of that church is on very, very shaky ground. So I want to look at another major doctrine that's affected by this chaotic upheaval of God's order. The next thing that we see here is a sanctification issue. The purity of the church, the, the preservation of holiness is required before God's blessings will be on a church. And they compromise holiness in this church in a very dramatic way. Now, I will say that you don't need a woman pastor to destroy the holiness of the church. We've seen plenty of that with scandals in our Baptist churches, and we don't have women pastors. It's an unholy shame 
to see pastors sink in their morality into adultery and pornography and the general lewdness of this society. Pastors are vulnerable. You need to understand that. We have to counsel with women. And sometimes it's possible to get too close. And a counselor knows this, that there is a loss of objectivity when he identifies too closely with the one that he counsels with. And so, even in the secular world, there are laws against personal relationships between those that are counseled and counselors. And the one on the counseling end is supposed to upheld, uphold that ethical standard. Now, there certainly then is an ethical standard in the church. And the blame for the problem is not to be put on the woman. Now, sure, there are, there are women that are vixens. But it's the, it's the pastors that are to blame. They are expected to be more. And when this begins to happen, they've got to shut it off. Get out of this impropriety. I have no sympathy for a man, for a pastor who says, but you don't know, I was seduced. That is not an excuse. Pastors have power. There's no doubt that pastors have power. We gain the confidence of the people. And sometimes pastors will use that power because they are the holy men of God. And they become the seducers, not the seduced. And so they convince female congregants, whether they're young or they're old, that they can be trusted. And they tell them, oh, I would never ask you to do anything that is against God. I'm not going to ask you to do anything that's not beneficial to God's work. And I can tell you this is a problem in Baptist churches. We don't get as widespread publicity as the Catholics do because there just aren't as many Baptist preachers as there are Catholic priests. It happens in Baptist churches. It's known, and I hate to say this, especially known in controlling fundamental ministries. I can tell you that a sexual problem is to be expected in ministries that have little problem with ethics in the pulpit. And if you can lie in the pulpit, where else are you going to lie? You'll lie anywhere if you lie in the pulpit. Recently in a bulletin article, you read it. It was an article on the Song of Solomon. I wrote about a sermon that I heard from an independent Baptist pastor that I considered to be, the message I considered to be purient. It was disgusting and vulgar. And I'll not make accusations, but I can tell you, if that man could read the Bible and the Song of Solomon and think like he did, then his congregation had better watch out. There is a problem there with that man's mind. So, churches with male pastors are not immune to sanctification problems. In fact, Paul, who spoke often to this issue, did not deal with churches that had female pastors. Now, some may have been headed that way. Some didn't heed the warnings of Thyatira. But you can be sure when Paul was writing in the New Testament, he wasn't writing to churches that had women pastors. So there's trouble with sanctification issues among the men. And here we see that Thyatira didn't heed the problems of the woman in the pastorate. And that became a problem. Now, I can say that churches with female pastors are most certainly headed for sanctification issues. It's unavoidable because you cannot upset the created order and maintain holiness with God. Here is a sanctification issue that is an important doctrinal problem. And it has something that undergirds it. Dan Fortner wrote, The popular, accepted, mainstream religion of our day is a religion of works. The vast majority of religious denominations, respected religious leaders, 
and churches, local, national, and international, are unified in the essence of their message. Virtually all preach salvation by man, either by his works or by his will. They are modern Jezebels, deceiving and seducing the sons of men. We have no point of agreement with them. If grace is true, free will is false. If the gospel of grace is true, any and every mixture of works and grace is false. Two opposite messages cannot both be true. That means there is no room in the house of God for free will works religion. Fortner's point ended with an affirmation that any preacher who tries to destroy the faith of God's elect will be destroyed. Jesus says the same in this text. Now, I like Fortner's application that someone who is unfaithful to the doctrines, whether it be a man or a woman, can be a Jezebel. The root of all this is replacing the gospel of grace for the expediency of man. In this case, the gospel of Christ was prostituted for church survival. Now, there are many directions I could go with that. It's impossible to run down every path. But we see this. There is not a more wholesale prostitution of the gospel of compromise than we've seen in books like Rick Warren with the purpose-driven church and the purpose-driven life. And there the premise of it is we must compromise with the world in order for the church to survive. But in fact, the surest way to extinction in the church is to make the world compatible with the church, or the church compatible with the world, and the Lord will cause the church to survive only by faithful endurance. And the moment that we make the world the judge and the jury of what is right and wrong in the church, that's the day that the judge comes with eyes that flame of fire, feet like fine brass, and he'll upset that verdict. We will not survive as the Lord's church, unless we resist. And it seems strange to say that we must resist unto death. Well, you mean we're going to kill the church if we do that? No, we must resist to death because that death in persecution is the seed of more churches to grow out of faithfulness to doctrines. One of the, or out of the flames of persecution arises another church and another church and another church until Christ comes. But if the church gives in to the world, then the plant and the seed are destroyed in God's judgment. Destruction comes upon a church that does not resist the world. So we're going to return to this the next time. We'll re-examine some more issues in Thyatira. A Jezebel convinced them that the way to survive is to join the world. Pogo used to say, we have met the enemy, and he is us. And that can be true of the church. We are our own worst enemy when we supplant God's authority for ours. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you today again, confessing that we have not been as faithful as we should be. Lord, we pray that Berean Baptist Church would stand strongly upon the Word of God. We pray for preachers across this country who are determined to do that, and they face a lot of issues, a lot of trouble. People don't like what we have to say, but we don't please people, we please the Lord God. We always have to do that. If the church is to survive, we must please our Lord, the Lord of the church, the one who owns it, the one who is the head, and the church is His body. Lord, we pray that you would be with us today. Speak to our people. 
I pray for those who don't know Christ as Savior, and they will not understand all that I've said today. I, I think that's probably clear. May not even agree with what I've had to say today. Probably don't, because this is not what the world's telling them day after day after day. But we read it from the Word of God. The Word is faithful and true. Lord, help us to stand on that Word. Draw someone through your Holy Spirit to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Open their heart. Give them faith. Give them repentance and faith to receive the message of God's Word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bbaptist.org.